Amen. As you're being seated today, if you will find your Bible and open it up or turn it on, we're going to be in Psalm 56 today, Psalm 56 in your Bible. So last night at the pumpkin patch, uh, I was looking out and I saw a lot of costumes, a lot of kids dressed up in their costumes, and some were just a bit scary. So let me ask you this question, what makes you afraid in life? What, what are you afraid of in life? Clowns? Um, those dolls with the creepy eyes? Uh, those, those dolls just, ugh, I'm afraid of those. Uh, spiders? Zombies? Long sermons? You know, what is it that you're really afraid of in life? How about some of the deeper things like uh, failure, rejection, love, being trapped in a situation where you can't get out, flying, public speaking, dying. What is it that you are afraid of? Most people, if they're honest, they have to admit that you feel afraid sometimes. Now, there are some that live in denial, and they say, I don't fear anything, Pastor. I have no fear. If you're a Gen Xer back in the 80s, one of those slogans that used to put on the car was, no fear, remember? That's just foolishness there because uh, if, if, you, if you don't have any fears, you're often going to do some really foolish things. And there are some, though, that when it comes to fear, uh, you feel like you're chained to the table and it's your torturer. So we're in this series of messages that we are calling, What is Your Favorite Psalm? And what we've been doing in this series of messages is you guys have been sharing with me some of your favorite psalms, and then I'll pick one, and I'll preach from it. And so today's favorite psalm comes from Peyton Leonard, and she uh, had her letter jacket on out at the pumpkin patch last uh, Thursday, I think it was, and as she was walking out, Richard looked at it and said, hey, Lash, there's a psalm, and so we got to talking, and so I told Peyton, I'll preach from Psalm 56, and the verse that is on her letter jacket is Psalm 56 and verse 3, and here's what it says. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Now, one of the things that's been interesting to me as people have shared with me their favorite psalms is that almost all the ones that have been shared with me have been dealing with two things. Number one, fear, and number two, security in God. I didn't really intend for this to be a series of messages on fear and security in God, but that's kind of what's evolved as people have shared with me these various uh, psalms. And disclaimer on this, because I know that fear and anxiety are very deep subjects that can uh, be tied into very traumatic things that may have occurred in your past. I don't have all the answers. And often I, I realize that there are not easy answers. Sometimes living beyond the trap of fear uh, and finding yourselves confident in the security of God, that that can be a process. And I also know that there's good fear and bad fear. Normally we think of fear as a bad thing, something that holds you back in life. But fear can actually be at times a good thing. In fact, in some ways, a fear is a gift from God. You see, in your brain, you have this little almond-shaped neuron center, and it's the fear central within your body. Well, guess who made that little neuron center? 
in your body? God. Uh, God designed you to have an ability to sense danger. And, and sometimes that fear says to us, uh, you need to run like Scooby-Doo, right? Uh, sometimes that, that, that fear says to us, okay, it's time to fight. And sometimes it just kind of alerts you and your eyes get a little bit wide and, and, and you're just alerted by that neuron center that has been hardwired in your body. You need to have good fear. If you don't have good fear, then you wind up like Evil Knievel. You remember Evil Knievel back in the 70s? He was like the original super stunt man. The guy tried to jump the Grand Canyon on a motorcycle. Not exactly wise. I read that he had 433 broken bones in his career. A little fear does the body good. And so David wrote, when I am afraid. Now David was a man's man. He was a warrior. He had seen everything. And he didn't say if or in the event that I get. He said, you know, when I'm afraid, meaning it's going to happen. And if you read his life, you find that over and over again, he was in fearful situations as a young shepherd boy watching the sheep on the backside of, his, of the mountain. His, his flock was attacked by a lion, and David had to fight the lion off. As a young teenager, he stared the foul-breathed giant Goliath right in the eye and went toe-to-toe in battle with him. As a young man, King Saul named him a fugitive and literally had an entire army chasing him. Now, how would that make you feel if day and night you knew that there was an entire army chasing you? And so verses 1 through 7 of Psalm 56 here describe for us uh, why David was often tempted to fear. So look with me there in your Bible, Psalm 56 and verses 1 through 7. Be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day, for many arrogantly fight against me. So when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I pray, I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps while they wait to take my life. Will they escape in spite of such sin? God, bring down the nations in wrath. So you see that that David was in a situation where he had a lot of adversaries that were against him, twisting his words, stirring up strife. He says it's like they are lurking in the shadows. And when I am afraid. When I am afraid is a natural human emotion. It's a reaction to stress. But fear can also hold us back. It can be a bad thing that keeps us from living life. And here's what I know about the Hasatan, the Satan. He loves to pour gasoline on the fires of fear. Those fear fires start burning within you. And he loves to just inflame them. One of Satan's greatest tools is to try to drain you of faith and fill you with fear so that you become too scared to act. Poor little squirrel there. I mean, no, no telling what's going on there. 
How many of us are living with pain in our life that's really not going to get any better until you do something about it? You know, there needs to be an action point. There needs to be a decision where you say, okay, I'm no longer going to live trapped by this fear anymore, but we're afraid. And we're afraid to take that next step because of fear that is still living within our heart. Now, I think this all gets complicated by the fact that we are the first generation to adult in an always connected world. I'm in my 40s. And if you're in that age bracket, kind of look back upon your life and realize just how much has changed with the advent of the Internet. How much our day-to-day life has really changed in our lifetimes. So Tuesday is election night. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to do a political thing. But Tuesday, some of you are like, come on, Lash, do a political thing. No, I'm not. I'm going to talk about the Bible, okay? But Tuesday is election night. And uh, have you voted? Have you voted? I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I am going to tell you to go vote. You know, we need to go vote. We are privileged to live in a land where you can vote. So Thursday, I, uh, I went on a, or Friday, I went on a field trip with my seven-year-old Bennett. We went up to the Herd Museum and saw some snakes and dinosaurs and things like that. It was cool. And uh, as we were driving by Collin College on the way to the Herd Museum that morning, I said, so Bennett, we're going to go to the field trip, and then we're going to go eat lunch, and then uh, we're going to go vote. And he, he gave me one of those seven-year-old reactions. I don't want to do that. I was like, why don't you want to do that? And he, I mean, he was just like digging his heels in there in the car. I don't want to do that. I, said, I said, kind of changed the subject, and we, we went on to the, to the field trip, and we had a really good time. And uh, came back, ate lunch, and we were going back, and we, we stopped by Collin College, went in, and I voted, took a short line, took about 10, 15 minutes, and, and on the way out, here's what I discovered. He thought I had said, we're going to go boating, <laughs> which we've never done, but he was envisioning in his mind that we were going to spend like all afternoon out on a lake or something like that in a boat, and he didn't want to go boating. And so after he discovered it was voting, he said, you know, Dad, that really wasn't so bad. I'm like, no, you know, I'm so sorry. You were scared. All day long, he had been wrestling with these fears that I was going to take him out on the boating trip. On, on Tuesday night, how are you going to discover the results? For some of you, you'll discover it on Twitter or Facebook, on social media, maybe using a phone app. Some of you might use a website. If you're a little older, you might tune in to Fox News or CNN. If you're a little older school than that, you might go with ABC, NBC, or CBS, right? But now think about our our grandparents and our great-grandparents. How would they have found out that information? They probably would have found it out in the newspaper. And if you really go way back, like the town herald would come through town and tell you the news of what had happened in the election. We live in a beautiful age of unprecedented awareness, but our knowledge also brings unanticipated fear. Historically, deep thinkers struggle with fear. 
If you're wired to be a deep, deep thinker, you may wrestle more with fear because you have an insight and you have an awareness, and so you're able to think about different angles and, and see things that might be coming up down the road. But today, even not-so-deep thinkers have great awareness. And so there's all sorts of opportunity to be fearful. And one of the results is that people are struggling with emotional health like never before. So highlight this, draw a box around it, memorize it, post it, tweet it, uh, write notes on the margin, whatever you need to do. Highlight Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Now who is you? Verse 4. In God, the Elohim. The glorious God who created all things and sustains all things. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. And I love the last line. What can mere mortals do to me? November 13, 1861, Reverend M.R. Watkinson of Ridleysville, Pennsylvania, wrote a letter to the Secretary of Chase uh, Secretary of the Treasury, Salmon P. Chase. Yes, his name was Salmon Chase. Anyway, wrote, wrote a name to Mr. Chase, and Mr. Watkinson proposed that we put the words God, liberty, and law on our coins. So Secretary Chase liked the idea, and in 1864, In God We Trust was printed on the two-cent coin. Pretty soon, Congress caught on, and the American people liked it, and so they passed legislation that allowed In God We Trust to be on all of our money. And on July 30th, 1956, President Eisenhower signed a joint resolution of the 84th Congress, and he declared that In God We Trust is the national motto of the United States. Did you know it was the national motto of the United States, In God We Trust? It was signed by President Eisenhower in 1956. The United States is actually an eternal psalm. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I pray. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And so in the time we have left today, I want to share with you three things that the Bible teaches us to do when you're fearful, when you're afraid. And those three things are to trust in God, to trust in His Word, and to look beyond. Trust in God, trust in His Word, and to look beyond. Let's start with trust in God. Does anyone in here have trust issues. I know you're not going to raise your hand if you have trust issues because that would be like you'd have to trust me enough to raise your hand. So anybody in here have trust issues? I, I have a few. I bet you have a few as well. One of the sweetest things I saw all week were um, parents bringing quarantine babies out to the pumpkin patch for family pictures. Hey, listen, guys, we had an incredible pumpkin patch. And I guess there's still another day. I think my mic's going a little bit in and out, isn't it? So, uh, but but uh, 
throughout the week, I would see, see these little babies come up, and I would say, so, so when was he or she born? And, and uh, a lot of them were born in the, in the quarantine time. And I'd tell the baby, this is what fresh air is, and uh, this is what family time is. We're glad you're here. And they would get pictures, and, and it was so neat. And as I think about those little babies, little children have a huge need for people they can trust. Trust is foundational to any relationship, including our relationship with God. And during those early childhood years, one of the most important things that a child needs is to know that there are people in their life that are trustworthy. And what happens when people break our trust? What's our natural reflex? I'm going to push away, right? So my trust has been broken, so what I, what I begin to do is I, I push away and I distance myself. Now sometimes, through the course of time, that distance can be bridged, and once again the relationship becomes, becomes restored. But as we get older in life, it's really easier for us to become more and more skeptical. Anybody experience that? Why? Because over the course of life, we've had our trust broken many times. Yet, if you go back to the foundations of living, the foundations of being human, to be a happy human who enjoys healthy relationships, trust is a must. For you to have thriving relationships in your life, you have to be able to Put your heart out there in trust and love. And it's interesting to me that there are so many verses in the Bible that encourage us to place our trust in Christ. What is the first step of faith in a believer's life? Placing your trust in Christ. Coming to that point where you understand that I have broken God's trust. I have sinned. I have fallen short of God's glorious standard, and I'm repenting of that, and I'm placing my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, and I'm entering into a relationship with God that is extended to me through the glorious, extravagant grace of God in Jesus Christ. Trust is a must for you to have an ongoing relationship with God. And it is out of that healthy relationship with God that we as believers are able to love others. If you look at Jesus' teaching on love, one of the things that you'll discover is that Jesus always linked your love for God with your love for your neighbor. It was an overflow. So when you have a healthy relationship with God, when you have a healthy love for God, and you're living in that love, it allows you then to be a loving person. Because I love God, I love others. In fact, Jesus went so far, and I know some of us will push away from this idea, but he went so far as to say that we shouldn't only love our neighbor, but we should, we should even be loving towards our enemies. And that we should love our neighbor even when our neighbor is acting like our enemy. Okay? The words of Christ, it's in red, you've got to deal with it. Okay? And then he went one step further. Jesus actually died for the sins of his enemies. 
Right? He, he died for sinners. Sinners are, according to Romans, at enmity with God. And yet He died for you and for me out of His love for us so that Jesus, through His death, might save us from death ourselves. How incredible is that? And when you trust in God, your identity are secured by the blood of Christ. That is why there is security of salvation. Because your salvation is not secured by your good behavior. Your security is secured through the power and blood and resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Okay? So you are secure in Christ. And when you begin to realize that your identity and your esteem are secured by the blood of Christ, it frees you to love unlovable people with the extravagant grace of Jesus. As you draw closer to God in love, that changes you in such a way where you are able to love your neighbor with the love that has been resourced to you from God above. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. When you are afraid, trust in Him. When you think about pushing away from people, whenever you start building those walls around your life, draw closer to God. Yeah, people are going to disappoint you. People can be mean. People will do things that they, they shouldn't do. But as believers, our love for people is anchored in our love for God. And so when we struggle to love unlovable people, the solution to that is to fall more in love with God. Because as we love God more, He empowers us to love the unlovable with a godly love. A second thought from this psalm. Is it a little bit warm in here to y'all today? Okay. Not? Okay. We won't take a vote. It's not the week for that. But anyway. Um, two. <laughs> sorry. Trust in His Word. Trust in His Word. In verse 4 it says, In God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. So the idea here is that you can trust in God because he keeps his promises. And so David begins to look back at the words of God and he praises God's word and trust in the righteousness of who God is. Satan's strategy is to handcuff you to lies so that he can arrest you and throw you in a prison of fear. Catch this about Satan. He is a pathological liar. That is, that's just what he does. And here's what he does. Okay. He, he takes the truth and he twists it so that he can get into your head. The most dangerous liars, they don't just make up things out of the blue. The most dangerous liars, they take the truth and then twist it to mess you up. They skew the truth. They pervert, pervert righteousness so that good becomes bad and bad becomes good. And Satan takes all the fears of your past 
and he exploits them. And in doing so, he drains you of courage, drains you of faith, and he begins filling you with fear and doubt and timidity. So that rather than going forward for the Lord, you find yourself just backing up into the bunker of isolation. So there's a great exercise, and those of you that have been around for a while, you've heard me talk about this before, but a great exercise to do here. Identify the lie and replace it with the truth. Figure out where it is that evil has distorted truth in your life and identify it. And even if you need to take a piece of paper one day, just write them down and then replace it with the truth. So perhaps you were told by a parent that you are unloved and unlovable. Well, John 3.16 is the truth. It says that God so loved the world and that you includes you. And God so loves you that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not have to perish but have everlasting life. Maybe you were told in life that your ugly past can never be forgiven. But Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is forgiveness for your past. Maybe you were told you're a loser and you'll never change. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You are not stuck in a cause and effect determinism prison, but in Christ, all things can become new. That is part of the power of grace. Maybe you are told that there is no hope for you and there is no future, but Jeremiah 29 reminds me that God has plans for me and for you, says the Lord, for our well welfare, not for our harm, to give us a future with hope. Maybe you were told you can't do anything right, but Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 says you can do everything through the strength that comes from Jesus Christ. Maybe you were told that you are stupid and you don't know anything and you should just go away, but James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? You should go and ask God and God will give generously to you and he's not going to scoff at you and say, well, why didn't you know? that what's wrong with you he gives you that wisdom without finding fault and he allows you to see the perspective from the heavenly realm maybe you were told you don't have any talent you don't have anything to contribute you're just a, a, you just need to stay on the bench forever but God says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11 that you have a spiritual gift a supernatural gift that has been given to you from God above it is a gift of the Holy Spirit to be used for the benefit for the edification of the saints and God has equipped you and, and given you the ability to be used for his kingdom, whether you're extroverted or whether you're introverted or no matter where you fall on the strength finder's test, God has equipped you to be used for his glory. Maybe you were told you're just going to give up in the end, but Psalm 54, 4 says, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who will sustain me. Maybe you've been told you're too scared to do anything, but then you see the truth of Psalm 23 that says, the shadow of death. I don't have to fear evil because God is with me. Maybe you were told, well, God's just going to leave you and abandon you like everybody else in your life has done. But Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you to the very end of the age. And guess what happens after the end of the age? You live with him for all eternity. My friend, it is time for you to quit surrendering your life to the lies of the devil and to start living your life on the promises of God. 
You may have been lied to or deceived all your life, but it's time to stop that. Stop believing the lies. Stop believing the distortions. Open the Word of God and see what God has said about you. You were created on purpose, for a purpose, and in Christ there is forgiveness for your past, purpose for your present, and hope for your future. Live in that promise, and when you get afraid, and when you start pushing away, and when you start worrying about what's going to be, instead of letting that capture you and hold you hostage, instead, trust in the Lord. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to leave you. No one's ever reached the end of their life and said, oh man, the biggest mistake I made, I trusted in the Lord. I just shouldn't have done that. No one does that. When they reach the end of their life, and I walk with families when they reach that end of life situation. When they reach the end of their life, they look back and they say, God has been with me every step of the way. And they find strength in their faith. Trust in the Lord. And then a third thing, look beyond. Look beyond. The devil's favorite button on your computer is the zoom button. He wants you to zoom in to the point where the picture becomes distorted and you are so consumed with your current situation that you can no longer see the eternal reality and the future that God has for you. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. At its core, fear is storytelling. It's what our brains imagine happening in the unknown land that we call the future. So there's an event, and then your brain begins to tell the story of what's going to happen. And that's when we begin feeling those emotions of fear. And at times, fear authors a nonfiction story. When I was in the first grade, uh, we boys in the neighborhood, we found the ultimate tree. It was built in such, it grew in such a way that there was like a drop-off on the side, and it was a big tree, and so we tied this rope to it, and we got this idea uh, that we would run, and we would swing out like Tarzan, and we would fly around the tree and come back onto the other side. Sound good? Yeah. So, so the boys were doing this for I guess a long time whenever I walked up. And uh, I decided I wanted to do it too. Now my older sister, my much, much older sister than I am, much, much older. Anyway, my older sister said, uh, Lash, don't do that. Don't do that. But I thought that was just her being afraid. And I didn't have enough fear. So I jumped out. And on that day, fear wrote a nonfiction story. Because rather than going around the tree, I slammed into the tree. And after we picked the tree up, every, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, I survived, I survived. I just wonder why I had to have back surgery this year, I guess. Anyway, but but uh, fear sometimes writes nonfiction stories. But fear's favorite genre is fiction. Usually... The fear of what we think might happen is a lot worse than the reality. The fear of fear is usually worse than the actual fear itself. In verse 8, uh, it records David's answers to the what-ifs. He says in verse 8, 
you yourself have recorded my wanderings. I love this imagery right here. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Think about those nights where David felt all alone and he was just crying before the Lord. And he says God took those tears and he stored them in his bottle. Because he heard the hurts and he heard the cries. And then he says, then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. This I know, God is for me. How did he know that God is for me? Well, he was trusting in the promises of God. And he was remembering the experiences of his life. He said, this one thing I know. I don't know what's about to happen, but this one thing I do know, and that is that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. Now do you understand why David changed the world so much? What can mere humans do to me? I'm resting in God. I am obligated by my vows to you, God. I will make my thanksgiving sacrifices to you. For you rescued me from death, even my feet from stumbling, to walk before God in the light. Of life. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? Isn't that a beautiful psalm? I'd like to invite you in your life to take some next steps. It might be that God is leading you to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. Whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online, that's a next step. And maybe He's calling you to have that moment where you Kind of just surrender your heart before God, trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's where you are today, I I would invite you to make today your day of salvation where you trust in Christ. Maybe there's been a time in your life where you've trusted in Christ, but you've you've never publicly announced that. We as a church practice believer's baptism. And what that means is that whenever someone identifies with Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior, the way that you go public with that faith is to be baptized. It's a symbolic picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's done before the church because it's proclaiming before everybody, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I want others to know. It might be that you've been attending for a while and God's leading you to take that next step and partner in membership, mission with Murphy Road Baptist Church. Maybe you've been watching online for weeks and, and you're like, hey, you know, I need to take some next steps and connect with this church that I've been watching for a long time. Or maybe there's a prayer need, something that's going on deep within you that we can pray with you about. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to help you however I may. You can always reach me at pastor at murphychurch.com. Send me a note. Let us know what's going on. If there's prayer requests, there's little cards in front of you, the starting point card. You can use those uh, for prayer requests. I know some of you, you like to put the prayer request in the comments. And it's kind of cool whenever someone puts a prayer request out there and then suddenly people start praying for them right there on the spot. We're walking in community. None of us walk alone. We walk together. Amen. All right, let's pray. Our Father, there is a lot that tempts us to worry. There's a lot of things in the future that are unknowns. 
but this I know, you are God and you are good. And I thank you that in a land, in a life, in a world that is often full of corruption, that you are absolutely pure, holy, and we may trust in you. Lord, as we sit in the seat today, some of us find ourselves struggling because throughout life, things have happened, things that cause us to grow skeptical, things that cause us to grow fearful, and things that move us from love to isolation. But I pray that you will help us to push beyond the fears and to live in faith. And may we experience the beautiful joy of living in loving relationships. I pray for marriages, marriages that are strained right now, that they will be healed. I pray for families that find themselves at odds with one another, that you will bring unity to those families. And I pray for us, Lord, as a church family, that we might have the unity of the gospel flowing through everything that we say and do. And I ask, Lord, that what you are doing in our hearts may not remain there, but may it overflow the boundaries of our selfishness so that we become selfless people who are loving as Christ loved. And may we see it in our community, in our schools, in our places of work. May we in our lifetime see an awakening of God that drops our jaw in awe and amazement at your power and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.